Father, we are assembled here today for your glory and your honor only. I pray that our gathering might sanctify this day for your worship. Lord, make us dead to sin and alive by your resurrection power. Fill our daily lives with abundant evidence of your new life. We thank you for the gift of your spirit of grace that dwells in us. To equip and empower us to be more like Christ. Lord, enable us to resist temptation and this world's distractions. Fill us with your spirit that we might face this world in a way that reflects your goodness and light. Father, consume us with your perfect love. May your love, Lord, fill us and overflow us and surpass every other desire and affection. May our love for you feed our love for one another. Make us to love each other as you have and do love us. May our love cause the atheists, the apathetic, the antagonistics to see you in us, through us, to recognize your glory and your honor. Lord, we pray that today you would speak to us, that you would make us desperate to hear your voice, your instruction, your guidance, your comfort, your encouragement. Give us ears to hear. Give us desires to obey you today through Christ's atonement and by the Spirit's power. Amen. Why do we have documents in our church? We have a bylaw document that describes how we practice governance together. We have articles of faith included in that document that tell us what we believe about the Bible, what the Bible teaches. It's a broad summary statement of our core beliefs. And then we have what we call a church covenant. And our church covenant is what tells us how we act, how we behave, how we carry out our beliefs. Because we believe certain things, then we carry out, we act in certain ways. And so we've been unpacking that over the last couple of weeks because every month we celebrate the Lord's Supper here. The last Sunday of each month, we gather around the Lord's table and we remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us, what He is doing in us currently and for us currently, and what He is going to do for us in the future. We do this every month. And as we finish observing the Lord's Supper, then we put up on the screen or we take out our copy of our church covenant and we recite it together. And one of my hopes and desires as we've made our way through unpacking that is that it will take on a greater sense of meaning. Our church covenant and our articles of faith are both derived from Scripture. They're saturated with Scripture. They're expressions of Scripture. And so they're not man-made documents in such and so they have great teaching value for us and so if we're going to do that every 
month, if we're going to have a covenant, we should want to know what's in it and how to unpack it and understand it in a way that does impact our lives. And so that's what we've been doing. As we read our covenant, it's broken down into about four sections, and each section changes focus. In the first section, we discovered a couple of weeks ago, that we find out who we are in Christ. Because of our relationship with Him, who are we? Last week we talked about what we do together as a body of Christ because of that relationship in Christ. And this week we're going to talk about what we do independently. What we do apart from one another. We can't spend all of our time here together, can we? We can't spend all of our time here within the confines of this campus, this building, and, and just nurture each other and encourage each other all the time. We have responsibilities out in the world, in the community. And so what does our covenant encourage us to do beyond these walls? What do, we, what do our beliefs encourage us to do beyond the walls of this church when we are independent of one another, when we're apart from each other? And there are several things. I want to begin by just reading this section of the covenant this morning. It's in your worship guide. It's right there on the opening page next to the order of service. Section 3, or the third paragraph, reads this way. It says, We also engage to maintain family and personal devotions, to educate our children in the Christian faith, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our deportment. To avoid all spreading of rumors or false reports, unnecessary strife, and unrighteous anger. And to seek God's help in abstaining from all drugs, food, drink, and practices which bring unwarranted harm to the body or jeopardize our own faith or one another's faith. So, as we break this down this morning, I think there are four broad statements that we can focus on and try to understand this morning. First of all, we see that what we do independent of one another, day by day, week by week out in the community, is first of all, we are to practice personal and family devotions. Personal and family devotions. Now, this is a hot topic in our culture today. It's a hot topic in religious life. In fact, I would say that it has become commercialized, it's so hot. The publishing companies, writers, we're all working toward developing materials, books, resources that help people in their daily personal devotions. But I want to ask the question this morning, what do we mean by daily devotions or personal devotions? What, how would we describe that? How would you define that? Is it merely reading a book? Is it merely looking at some material and completing a couple of questions? What exactly is meant by this terminology, personal devotions? One source I read described it this way. They said, Daily devotions is the discipline of Bible reading and prayer with which Christians start or end each day. It includes intentional reflection and often a form of journaling. So there you have it. Bible reading, prayer, reflection, 
recording, writing, putting down your thoughts, journaling. Now, for many, it simply means sitting down and reading a devotional book. For years, um, I don't know, do we still get the Daily Bread here or whatever it is? There used to be a publication that came in in Baptist Life and it was called Daily Bread and that's basically what it was, was a devotion. And you may be one of those people that has a resource like that that you look to each and every week. Now there's nothing wrong with that, that's okay, personal devotions can take on lots of different forms. But what I would suggest to you today is that that is all you're doing. You need to expand and go deeper. That that shouldn't be all that you do for your devotion to get uh, alone, personally or with a family. So what are we getting at? Most devotional books, the reason I say that is most devotional books are written by an individual where they are sharing their own insights, their own experiences, their own thoughts. It's their journal about their journey with God, right? So what we have to be careful of is just simply taking what someone else has done, like parasites, and trying to take ownership and make it ours. That's not really devoting, devotioning, personally, is it? It's reading someone else's. Now listen, again, let me say... It has good purpose to read someone else's testimony of their walk with Christ can be beneficial. It can be enlightening. It can be encouraging. It can be helpful in your own journey. But don't you want your own journey with God? That's the way the Scripture reads, that we each have a personal journey going on with God. He is working in each of us and for Himself. I believe it's best when we're doing these devotions to begin with prayer. You should begin with prayer simply to empty all the predispositions in your mind and heart. If you do, if you do on your best case scenario, you do a personal devotion every 24 hours. There's a lot of time between when you sit down and do it again, right? You, you do it, let's say you do it in the morning at 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock, and then you don't do it again until Tuesday. And that's on a good day. Most of us struggle maybe to keep that everyday appointment, right? We may skip a day or a couple of days. So what has happened in the meeting time? The world has crowded in. The world has brought lots of ideas and thoughts and attitudes and impacts, left wounds and scars upon us. And so if we're not careful, we come in to this time with God with all of this stuff that is pressing in on us that we want God to do something about. Again, nothing wrong with that, but that kind of defeats the personal devotion aspect of this. Personal devotion is coming before God and honoring Him and spending time with Him. Just spending time with Him. Understanding how He wants to speak into our lives, what, how He wants to direct our lives. He knows what's coming for our lives. He knows what we've been through. So He has, he has personal, relevant things to impart to us on a regular base, basis. So pray, you begin with prayer to clean away, to wipe away all the predispositions, all the baggage. Say, Lord, I want to be 
liberated from those things. I want a clean slate. I don't want to come in with already leaning in a particular way towards something. But to come in with a blank slate and to spend time before you. Then I engage in reading Scripture and reflecting upon it. Spending time, not just to say, you know, I read the first chapter of Second Peter today. Great, wonderful. What did it say? Now, if you're reading the Bible through, you know you fall into that trap, right? Especially when you, you know, Genesis is great, Exodus is pretty good, and then all of a sudden you hit Leviticus, and all you know is that, well, there was lots of blood. Chances are pretty good. Blood was let today. Blood was splattered today. Taking time to reflect upon what we read is critical and important if it's to have any lasting value, any impact upon our lives. Reading Scripture, reflecting, studying it, going deeper, tracking down connections throughout God's Word. God's Word is always the best interpreter of God's Word. What has God to say to you? And then additional prayer and meditation to apply what God has spoken into your life. Why is it important to spend time with God in daily devotion? 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is God's plan and purpose for us. This is what He, what he aspires to do in us day by day for His light, for His glory to display through us in this world that we're passing through. We're encountering all kinds of people who only see darkness. They experience darkness, sin, brokenness, despair. God desires for His people to reflect and show forth His light of hope and joy and contentment and endurance that they might be directed toward Him. We nurture God's light shining in us, through us, as we engage God devotionally each and every day. As we spend meaningful time with Him, He changes us, He conforms us to Christ, and He fills us with His Spirit. It's been said, the gospel brings man to God. Devotions keep him close to God. James 4.8 says, come near to God and He will come near to you. So through daily devotions, Christians seek to draw close to God's heart to understand Him better, to obey His commands, and to hold His promises more tightly, more faithfully. The impure and the double-minded, they don't have this desire. So we must be careful as God's people. We should examine and evaluate ourselves. What are my attitudes toward God? Do I have a hunger and a desire to be more intimate with God, to walk with Him and spend time with Him. Now, you mothers particularly, grandmothers, you'll understand this better than the men folk in your life, so you explain it to them later. 
given the opportunity to just hang out and spend time with your children or your grandchildren without, without any agenda, doesn't that just warm your hearts? Am I wrong on that? Does that only happen in my house? No, I mean, you, you long for that, you love that, you cherish those moments to spend time with those little people especially, or just family in general. I've noticed that about the women in my life. My mother, my grandmother, my wife, my daughters. They're just wired that way. But why, let me ask you a question, why should we have more of a passion and a hunger to spend time with each other and not have similar desire, at least, if not more, to spend time with God? This is at the heart of our devotional life. The impure and the double-minded do not have this desire. They have a, no hunger to be near God. A sincere believer knows what God, that God wants His people to draw near to Him. And with true and pure hearts. That's why devotions are important. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. After our salvation, spiritual growth begins. The true believer will, like Enoch, want to walk with God. The true believer, like Asaph, will desire to be near God. The true believer, like the disciples, will yearn to pray effectively. In short, the child of God will make time for daily devotions. So we engage in personal and family devotions together. Secondly, our covenant stresses for us that we are to lead our children to Christ. We are to lead our children to Christ. We've been focusing on this for several years here at our church. Helping to understand and sometimes to, to clear up any misinformation, misunderstandings about the roles that we have. What is the church's role? What are parents' roles? For years, and I've seen this played out for many years in churches, parents kind of assume the church has the responsibility to do all the spiritual ministry to their children, to impart to them spiritual truth and be responsible for them spiritually. See, that's not what God's Word teaches. God's Word says that mom and dad are the spiritual guides for those young people, for those children. Dad, as Luke prayed earlier, does have the priority, the, the primary responsibility to direct the ways of the home, spiritually speaking. Most parents understand their roles regarding their children. They know they have a responsibility to take care of them, to protect them, to educate them, to clothe them, feed them, prepare them for adulthood. But we often ignore our responsibility to be their spiritual leaders. Some... I've had some through the years tell me they reared their children intentionally in a neutral mode, spiritually speaking, so that they could just make up their own mind. That's almost parental malpractice. 
That's not the way God designed parenting to work. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children. Now, Craig's not here today and I was all set to pick on him today. But he'll still work as a, an example, even in his absence. I'm not going to say anything unkind. I don't want you to get the wrong idea here. But Craig operates a landscaping business. And my modest, humble opinion, the most important tool in Craig's arsenal is the lawnmower. That's his number one tool. And I've watched Craig use the lawnmower to cut grass. I've watched him use it to rake leaves. I've watched him use it to push brush piles. And I've watched him use it to blow driveways and all those things. He can get more uses out of that mower than anybody I've seen. Now, he drives that tractor over the lawn. And behind him, there is a nice, clean, lowered surface on the grass, right? He cuts it and it's clean. But that doesn't just happen, does it? I've noticed with my own mower, it doesn't just work that way. I can drive mine, I put gas in it, I can put oil in it and all those things and keep driving it and driving it and driving it, but sometimes I start to notice that the cut's not very good. That Sometimes it's like there's just some kind of bat that's just beating the grass as it goes by. You know, what happens? That, there's a blade. The magic is in the blade under the mowing deck. Rotating blades down there. Now, I've tried this. I've stood my mower up and looked at the blade and said, You know what? That blade's gotten dirty. It needs to be cleaned up. You know, take some, take some uh, cleaning chemicals and clean that thing up and make it look good. Even spray a little oil on it, a little lubricant, make it slide through the grass better, right? Uh, put some grease in the ball bearings so that it turns better. All those things, those things are important to do. But they're not the most important thing to do. The most important thing you can do for that blade is what? <laughs> Sharpen it. Sharpen it. I love an illustration that's obvious, don't you? You must sharpen it. Due diligence to the blade, taking a file, taking a grinder, and with friction, sharpening, bringing a keen edge to the blade. And it's amazing what that will do to the grass. Skill diligent. It's not enough to keep our kids bathed and fed, and it's not enough to make sure that they get proper rest. It's not enough to protect them from harm in this world. It's not enough that they get educated, even in the finest institutions. It's not enough that they experience all of life's facets. They need intentional spiritual training, equipping. This puts the keen edge in their lives. This is the most important thing that you can do for your children. If you want them, if you want to train them up in the way they should go, as the Scripture teaches us, implores us to do, you must set the keen edge. And that requires spiritual training. They need to be led to the Lord. Parents are entrusted with this duty, first and foremost. Now, that's not to say the church doesn't have a role. But our role here at the church, primarily, and you can just do the math and figure this out, 
How long do we have access to the children each and every week? On the best case scenario, we get them for a couple of hours each week. Wednesday, Sunday. Out of how many? A lot. They spend more time on their phones or on the, watching the TV than they spend here with us. So if you are just looking at the church as the primary spiritual guide, director, teacher in their lives, you've set them up to come up short, spiritually speaking. Deuteronomy goes on. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and, you, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Saturating home life, your relationship with your children in spiritual things. And I would say that in order to do that effectively, there must be a quality devotional life between you and the Lord. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Psalm 78, 1 through 7. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell, but tell to the coming, uh, incoming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise, tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. What you teach your children, they will indeed teach the next generation. And that generation will teach the next generation. Thirdly, we find here in, our, in this section of our covenant that we are to share the gospel with others, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances. We all want to see loved ones and family, friends. We want to see them come to the Lord. We want to see them believe in Christ. Yet, it's so hard to talk to them about it, isn't it? You find it difficult to talk to family, to friends about the gospel, about their need for Christ? It's difficult. Why? Well, I think that it boils down to fear, fear that we'll be criticized, fear that we'll be ridiculed, or fear that we'll be rejected. We want to be liked. We want people to like us and approve of us. Nothing wrong with that. Maybe we feel unprepared to strike up such a conversation. How can we overcome such reluctance to share the gospel. Our devotion begins with prayer, praying, praying for the boldness, praying for the filling of God's Spirit in us. Only through the Spirit of God residing in us can we hope to do any of these things effectively or at all. Admit to God that you struggle with being bold with the gospel. 
Begin by admitting that. Lord, I'm struggling with this. I, I have fears that I know are not good or healthy. Ask for His help. His strengthening by the Spirit. Why do we have these fears? Well, it's often rooted in our pride. We don't want to, we don't want to be unliked. We don't want to be unpopular. No one goes around seeking how to do that intentionally. Most of us are raised and trained to be concerned about pleasing others, and that's not all bad. We want to be moral and kind people. But at the same time, there has to be attention. Love has to drive us to be willing to do what is important, even at the risk of being rejected or criticized. Love. Christ Himself is our example and inspiration and confidence. He was accused. He was beaten. He was rejected. He was crucified. Why? Because He loves us. Because He loves us. He suffered beyond our comprehension because He loves us. So our prayers must be shaped accordingly. We pray for God to expose our sin and our weakness. We confess what He reveals to, about us in us. As God reveals to us the weakness, the shortcoming, the sin that is in us, we confess it, we agree with Him, we acknowledge it, admit it, and we repent of it. Lord, take this away. Take away my pride. Take away my concern about what people may think and replace it with love, love for you and love for your gospel and love for people. We pray for Him to fill us with His Spirit and empower us. We pray for the persons that we need to speak to. We pray that God will prepare their hearts, that He'll give them ears to hear. That He'll put a desire in their heart. Only the Spirit can do this, to put a desire in their heart to want to hear. To have an interest there. You can't browbeat someone. You can't make them come to Christ. You can't make them listen. God can change the want to. And only God can change the want to. And so if God goes before us, and changes the want to, and God works in us to change the how-to, to give us more strength and encouragement to do so, then all of a sudden this turns out to be easy. This turns out to be a joy. We intentionally look for, plan, prepare, and carry out divine appointments with people. We see this as our calling. We see this as our responsibility day by day as we're interacting with people. Always at the forefront of our mind is, where's the opportunity? When's God going to provide the opportunity for me to begin to strike up a conversation that can talk about Christ? Share how Christ has impacted your life. You know what? <laughs> You see how this keeps circling back? If you're not spending time devotionally with the Lord, you're not going to have much to talk about on that front, are we? We're kind of cold and indifferent. Well, you know, I know the gospel. I've got a canned presentation of the gospel at my ready disposal, at my beckoning use here. But 
you see, when you're devotionally engaged with God day by day, what He does is that He begins to fuel a fire, a passion within us, a desire within us to make Him known to others. We recognize what He's doing in our lives, what He's doing in my life. I want others to have the same thing. We continue to pray for them and continue to share the gospel with them. We're, we're busy people. You're busy people. You've got lots of things vying for your time and your attention. We live in a busy, busy world. It's filled with all kinds of distractions. But we have to take stock of our priorities. We do. We have to decide. Do I really believe what the Bible teaches, what I say I believe about eternity? Do I believe there's a hell? Do I believe there's a heaven? That some are going to heaven and some are going to hell and that the difference is the gospel? Do I really believe that? It's what the Scripture teaches. It's what each and every one of you, if I were ask you one-on-one this morning, would attest to and say, yes, I believe that. Well, let me ask you, does our life reflect what we say we believe? Do I believe This topic is the most important thing affecting every soul. Finally, our covenant says we live with purpose and care in this world. To walk circumspectly in the world. Circumspectly. What does that mean? To walk carefully. To walk intentionally with purpose. To live in this world carefully. We bear the name of Christ. Does our behavior reflect His image or bring reproach? To his name. Our covenant unpacks the stipulations, the implications, if you will, for living with care in this world. Here's what it says One, we're to be just in our dealings. Just in our dealings. What does that mean? Is Christ pleased with the way we conduct ourselves in our interactions with others? Is he pleased with how we interact with others, whether it's a business relationship or whether it's a friend relationship or just a casual acquaintance. Are are we being an example of His goodness? Are we displaying His glory, His love, His care? Secondly, to be faithful in our engagements. What do our engagements say about us? What do our engagements say about us? What are the relationships that we have? Do we plan them, execute them as unto the Lord, carry them out as unto the Lord? Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Thirdly, it says to be exemplary in our deportment. I had to look up deportment. That was a joke. Are you all with me this morning? What does that mean? It means behavior, right? Our actions. To be exemplary. To be exemplary in our deportment behavior. The flesh wants what it wants, right? I I don't want someone cutting me off in traffic because I got there first. I want to be there first. That's what's fair. We won't fare until it works against us. So how do I conduct myself in life? What's the testimony that I'm writing that trails behind me? You know those those jets 
when they're way up in the air and they, they move across the sky and they leave that, that little white strip behind them, you know, coming out of the engines? You know, what, kind of, what kind of strip are you leaving behind you? Does it cause people to look and think about Christ, to desire God, or does it point them in another direction? The Spirit gives us different desires. The Spirit, when Christ is in us, when we're in Christ, the Spirit resides in us and changes our desires. Gives us a different appetite. Desires that want to please God, to know Him more intimately. In Him we aspire to value the Lord above everything else. All else. Fourthly, it says to avoid all spreading of rumors or false reports. This one's pretty easy, right? Not easy to do, but easy to understand. Isn't it so easy to believe the worst about someone? Have you noticed that? We have a saying that says, well, I'm going to give them the benefit of a doubt. Nobody gives anyone the benefit of a doubt anymore, do they? We already know what their motivations are. We already know that they intended to do that to bring discomfort and harm and whatever to me. That's what we normally jump to. That's the human nature, flesh side of things that rears its head and says, I'm most important and you need to get out of my way. You need to, you need to do more to benefit me. What is it that makes us enjoy gossip and lies so much? <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing that goes on with the nightly newscast, isn't it? If they come on with, with three stories leading out that are all wonderful, kind stories and positive things about what's going on in the world, nobody tunes into that for more than a day or two, do they? But when they lead out with all the devastation and heartache and difficulty and fights, you know, a fight, boy, a fight will draw a crowd in a hurry. I was preaching the gospel years ago in Ghana to about 5,000 people out just standing. They've been standing for hours watching the Jesus film and began preaching the gospel. And about halfway through as we're beginning to really get down to the nuts and bolts of the gospel, they all of a sudden just left. It's like someone had turned a switch and they all just left. And I thought, I looked at the translator and said, what did I say? He said, I don't know, but I'll find out. Well, the short of it, he came back in 10 minutes and said, oh, a fight broke out on the other end of town. Everybody went to see what was happening. He said, they'll be back. And they, they did, fortunately, come back. But we're naturally drawn to these things. I believe mostly gossip and lies tend to elevate our own stature at the expense of someone else. So we migrate toward them. To avoid unnecessary strife. Strife is a chief characteristic of this broken, fallen world. Everywhere we look today, we see strife. It, sometimes it's unavoidable. There's going to be strife in a broken world. But as Luke prayed earlier, sometimes we create our own strife where there isn't any. I once knew a man whose job was conflict resolution. <laughs> you know what he did? What his gift was? Starting conflict. 
because he thought he was good at resolving it, he always needed some conflict to resolve. So he was pretty good at starting conflict. Avoid unnecessary strife. Avoid unrighteous anger. Unrighteous anger. Seek God's help in abstaining from harming Christ's body through drugs, food, drink, practices, anything that might bring harm upon the body of Christ. Through reproach, through reproach, if you're giving a testimony one day that you're walking with the Lord and you're reading your Bible and you're praying and the next day you're being drawn into the world and acting like the world, then you bring reproach upon the body of Christ. To seek God's help for avoiding doing harm to ours or others' faith. Doing harm to ours or others' faith. One of the great benefits of our koinonia is strengthening each other. It's the, one of the reasons we come together. We come together to worship God together. But this being together, the iron sharpening iron, makes us better, makes us stronger. We encourage one another to abide in Christ and to grow in Him. And we hold one another accountable to this. When we come together as a family of God, the body of Christ together, we give permission to each other to speak into our lives about the things that we see there, the fruit that we see or that we don't see. That's part of being together in Christ to keep each other on the right path. And as we commit to and invest in one another this way, what happens is that the body, our body, the church, grows stronger and becomes more fruitful for Christ. So why is the church covenant important? It reminds us of these things. We rehearse these things. We say them out loud for each other to hear that we understand the importance of what it means, who we are in Christ, what we do together as a body, what we do independent of one another when we are not gathered together. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for who you are, grateful for this design, Lord, that is your church, for what you have done throughout the history of this church to accomplish your purposes, to have an impact in this community, this region, Lord, this world, and that we all benefit from that today as we gather together in your name. We pray that, Lord, our church, today and the days that follow, as long as you tarry, that we'll take our responsibilities to one another and to you and in this world seriously. And that we'll encourage and inspire and urge and exhort one another to fulfill those things in a way that continue to exalt you and continue to point others toward you.
Don't allow us to settle for the lies that the enemy tells us that it's not important. Or don't allow us to be drawn into and after the ways and the attitudes of this world. But Lord, through the presence of Your Spirit working in us, we know we can't do it on our own, but with Your Spirit working in us, that we can be a fruitful testimony and witness to Your goodness, Your glory, Your love. Make us be this kind of people. Show us how, Lord, we can take those steps in the right direction to nurture and encourage this in ourselves and in one another. For Your glory, for Your honor, Lord, and for the sake of our dark world. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.